One of the advantages of being this side of 40 is that you gain a little perspective. Actually, you gain a lot of perspective. It kind of increases with distance, you see. So you're better equipped to tell if that thing on the metaphorical road of life is a simple rumble strip that may cause you to spill the tiniest drop of your coffee, or if it's a massive, huge suspension wrecker disguised as a bump that's going to leave you holding onto the steering for dear life as your posterior loses its hitherto intimate acquaintance with the seat. Life, as I see it, is very similar to most roads. There's twists and turns, ups and downs, schedule breaks and intermittent unplanned breakdowns, and of course, imperfections. The car you may be driving on the road of life may be a stellar machine with all parts functioning as they should, or it may be one of those ramshackle models that just about manages to make its way up any incline with a gradient of more than 0.5 only after a massive running start and the general accompaniment of wheezes and backfires. Think the jalopy Archie used to have. The latter is me, which is why I feel I'm singularly best placed to write this particular blog post. Now, I spent most of my time actually sweating the small stuff, at least in the earlier part of my life anyway. I could complain for days if I managed to get a splinter. I'd mope around the house like a surly teenager with no Wi-Fi privileges if my sports team had the temerity to lose a game. And at this point, I need to draw your attention to this. I am a Liverpool football club supporter. During the era of Roy Hodgson, I was pretty much constantly in a state of surliness, in that one phase of surliness overlapped with the next one, depending on the time in between games. It was that bad. This particular state of affairs was pretty much ingrained. It was like second nature. It was only after I started hitting a few real bumps in my life that I began to appreciate that there really was actual stuff to be worried about. I mean, prior to that, I was like pretty much living in a world of cotton candy and daisies. Metaphorically, doing that in real life would be a bit difficult. All it takes is a big bump on the road to help you realize the small rumble strips are just good for a quick massage. Now, the first such bump, I think, came about when I was in university. Second year, to be precise. Allow your mind to wander back to those halcyon days when you too were in the Institute of Higher Education of your choice. Well, assuming you got the Institute of your choice, if you didn't, hopefully you were in some higher education institute. Remember that glorious feeling of youth and energy, that intoxicating taste of freedom and possibility? Yeah? Well, imagine that amplified to a factor of like a hundred. I could do no wrong. I had this whole life thing completely and utterly sussed out. I was in my third year of architecture, working part-time as a radio presenter and pretty much an all-round man about town. The world was my oyster.
Yeah, there were a fair few bumps on the road. My car, or should I say my parents' car, because it most certainly was theirs. Anyway, the car wasn't exactly great. It guzzled fuel like a thirsty leopard after a particularly salty zebra. My attempts at getting female companionship were as successful as the ill-fated space expedition to the sun. Yeah, because, you know, they thought they'd go at night, see? Yeah? No? Okay. For some reason, my forays at growing a full, lush beard weren't completely bearing fruit. But other than that, I was on top of the world. I had more than ample time to sweat the small stuff. It infuriated me. Then, the big bump happened. I failed a year at uni. Now, this is most certainly a big bump, okay? Up until that point, I was pretty much a stellar student. Primary school was easy, high school was a little more challenging, but I still managed more than above average. I mean, seriously. The first and second years of uni were a complete and absolute joke. I could have done them with my eyes closed. As a matter of fact, I did some units with my eyes closed. Cultural anthropology and philosophy, to be precise, which goes a long way to explaining why I know so little about cultural behaviors in man and why I don't care too much about that either. But third year, that's when things turned. Now, I should give you a little bit of background. Um, in case you're new to the podcast, I'm an, I'm an architect, actually. Um, so one of the biggest units in architecture was what we called studio. It was the be-all and end-all. Any student of architecture will tell you this. Like the alpha and omega. So studio happened every day of the week in the afternoon, right? So like from one o'clock till about five o'clock, depending on when the studio masters decided to show up, really. It was when you're supposed to really test your mettle and evolve from the caterpillar that you were into the beautiful butterfly of an architect. But here's the problem. It was also manned by the studio masters. Three lecturers whose job it was to constantly remind you that you were kind of terrible at this architecture business and would be better placed shifting your attention to something, I don't know, a little more your pace, you know, like the pursuit of excellent in, excellence in breathing. Something that would not task your fragile mind as much, really. Or at least that's the impression I got from that particular set of studio masters. See, the thing is, architecture by its nature is subjective, right? 2 plus 2 is equals to 4, that's factual. But exactly how do you come up with an equation for whether a space works well or if a design is appealing? I mean, the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, exists exactly for this reason. Unfortunately, the studio masters and I never really saw eye to eye on what constituted a good design. You could say that their beholding eyes were not beholden, I suppose. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I tanked studio. As a result, I had to redo the year. I mean, <laughs> it was like the only subject you could fail that would cause you to redo the year. And I managed unerringly to fail that one. Seriously, it's like the only one, right? <laughs> Um, you could you could you could fail any of the other ones, and you just get like a a resubmission or reset or whatever the case may be. No, no, you fail studio like me. You do the whole thing again. Congratulations. 
Now this, this right here was completely uncharted territory for me. Eh? I'd never failed at anything in my life. Well, anything that mattered anyway. I mean, the high jump and the long jump, with those, those don't count. I stood there, looking at the notice board where the results were pinned up, doing my best impression of a goldfish for the best part of 10 minutes, till a rather kindly 50-year student gently moved me out of the way before I got trampled on. It was at this precise moment, that moment of something truly big going wrong, that I think my philosophy of not sweating the small stuff came into being. Gone were the concerns about the fuel-guzzling car and the lack of facial topiary. This, this was big. This was worth worrying about. This was what my few scattered brain cells needed to rally towards and concern themselves with. All of a sudden, my flimsy attempts at courtship bothered me about as little as a fly bothers an elephant. I had achieved some perspective. I didn't like it. There's unfortunately no warranty, so I couldn't send it back. Anyway, I want to move on to the to moral of the, the podcast, but I feel I need to give you some closure on my future as an architecture student, you know, just mainly for your sake, so we can tie up the thread. I'm nothing if not considerate. So to summarize, the second attempt at year three was a resounding success, thanks in no spart, small part to a fresh set of studio masters who were happier to behold what I was designing. I then went on to finish up my degree with first-class honours. I think the only student at the time to have ever gotten a first-class honour, having failed a year, if I'm not mistaken. And I know all that sounded like the end of a Hallmark made-for-TV movie, but it is what it is. Moving on to the moral of the podcast... It took something really big for me to understand what the function of worrying actually was and exactly how much it took out of you. After that, I pretty much understood wasting countless hours fretting about small things was pretty much pointless. You want to really save up on the fretting for when the really big stuff happens. And believe me, it will happen. In my so far rather short life, I've had uh, what I've just described to you, a terrorist attack. Uh, I lost my mother, my grandmother, I had a heart attack, lost my father, my brother. By the way, all four of those in the last seven months. Yeah. And several other related big things. With all of that going on, sometimes it pays to just stop worrying about the interest rate going up two points or your hair losing its valiant battle against the loss of pigmentation. Don't sweat the small stuff. If you like this podcast, we would love for you to subscribe to us. There should be a subscribe button somewhere around here. I got to say thank you very much for listening into this side of 40. We'd love to hear from you in the comment section. If there's anything that is this side of 40 that you think I should um, gaze at at some point in the future, do get in touch. Love ya.